This one is fat, very, very fat. Fried brick is fat, dirty bass fat, big belly fat, Xmas dinner fat. You don't know it's fat, it's fat and that's a fact. Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheel adventure, the Lilu Dallas to my multi-pass, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! Super green. Super green. <laughs> What color, what color green is it? Any, any, any color green you want. Any, any green, color, green, any green, 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 green. I love that movie so much. <laughs> Mountain Dew Green. I've watched it no less than, let's say, a hundred times. Probably more. I would I would probably agree. I, I've lost, probably, I've lost years off my life. It's, it's interesting because it's one of the worst acting movies on the planet. In fact, I don't think Luke Besson knows how to make a movie where people don't act badly in it. But it's so good. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair critique. It's just so good. It's just, it has lived, it's, it came out in 1997, first of all. It holds up. It holds up it to holds the times. It holds up so well. Yeah. Okay, for those of you who may be lost in this conversation, we're talking about the fifth element. No, no, no. And shame on you if you don't know. I was going to say, if you don't know what we're talking about, yeah, turn you off don't this get podcast right now. <laughs> Stupid millennials. Just turn this podcast off right now, go watch it, and then come back. <laughs> I'm just going to go and keep making references to the movie the rest of the show, I think. <laughs> Oh, I just got the title for the show in my head. You know, I realized the other, uh, like maybe a, a month or so ago, how many Bruce Willis movies there are out there that I actually like a lot. There's a ton. And I don't know how that makes me feel because, again, I don't think he's a particularly great actor, but no. he's been in a lot of shit that I really like yeah. a lot. Like who here among us has not watched Die Hard a gazillion times? I wouldn't say a gazillion. I've seen it like four times. Really? Yeah. Every Christmas, bro. Yeah. Eh. Mm. Okay. How about the movie Red? Have you seen Red? Yes. How about Red 2? No. One of the few times where a sequel is actually as good as the first one. Okay. Super good. Huh. I don't know why I keep liking a shit, but I do. Okay. Yeah. And I think it started with, for me, honestly, I think it started with The Fifth Element. Like in 1997, I'd only lived in America for five years. And so everything was fairly new to me. And then after The Fifth Element, I was like, who's this dude? He's kind of funny. And then I discovered Die Hard. I'm like, this is fucking genius. And then I've watched all the diehards, except for the last one. Oh, that was terrible. Sometimes you got to stop making movies. Are you listening to me, bad boys? You didn't need a third oh, bad, bad boys. boys. Bad boys have been one and done. I'm so oh, mad that man. I hated the third one. Like I'm mad that they wasted my time with what should have been good enough as one and two. I like that Martin Lawrence just keeps getting fatter with each bad <laughs> boys just, movie, and Will not, Smith just keeps getting hotter. Yeah, how is he getting hotter? It's some weird Benjamin Button shit going on with it's, him. It's like. Stem cells. We'll get to motorcycles in a minute, folks. We're talking about movies here. <laughs> this is a motorcycle podcast. Listen, it's sometimes it's weekly and sometimes it's about motorcycles. You can't have both at the same time. But oftentimes those two coincide. Yeah. 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 Uh, tell me what you've been up to on two wheels, sir. Uh, I have been visiting my little Aprilia Tuono a lot lately. Ooh, it's yeah, I actually running. rode it here today. <laughs> did you really? Uh, did it not shake your whole building when I got here? I was too busy cleaning. That thing is so damn loud. I figured you would have stuck your head out of the window and be like, turn that off, please. You're annoying everybody. Nah, no, it's so noisy in my neighborhood. It's such a good noise. I love that noise. That that bike and I, I, I love that bike so much. Every time I ride it, I feel this like urge to do wheelies. Mm. I'm not even good at them. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a wheelie guy. No, nah, but I want to do it on that bike every time. Um, 
Yeah, I've been riding that a lot lately. Been, you know, just doing motorcycle sales stuff. You know, being a motorcycle sales guy, making other people's dreams. Making true. that's you know that's the that's the best job on the planet. I get to make people smile most of the time in my job. And there's gonna be some fires you got to put out once in a while, but uh, it's one of the coolest jobs on the planet where I get to make people laugh. Not laugh, happy. Sometimes laugh. One of those emotions. What am I? What am I? Clown here to amuse you? <laughs> Send in the clown. <laughs> that is my job. I'm a professional idiot. <laughs> yeah, I've been riding my little Aprilia a lot. I actually rode it for about uh, four or five hours last weekend just to kind of get to know it a little bit, warm it up, get some of the old fuel out, put some new shit in it. Uh, the suspension needs to be rebuilt. Listen here, folks. Don't underestimate where your suspension's at. This is a this is a how old is that bike now? Seventeen years old. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I've the, never changed out the four coil on my R one. It's, it's fine. fine. It's I think totally what it is fine. is whoever set up the front end made it a little bit too stiff, and so it just doesn't rebound very well. It just takes it. Mm. I don't know. It's just it doesn't have very good travel. And I'm as we found out earlier, a svelte two hundred and thirty nine pounds. Yeah, buddy. Probably more with my heavy ass icon leather jacket. And hey, you didn't see down there. I had my uh my airbag vest on. Oh really? Yeah. Which one are you wearing? I got the the Alpine Star Tech Air. Okay, good. Tech Air five. Yeah, because that one now has Mine still hasn't shown up. Oh really? Heath. Way to go, Heath. I'll probably be talking to Heath tomorrow, actually. I'll remind him. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell him. Heath Heath is another Heath. such a nice guy and weirdly getting more handsome as he gets older. Stem cells, I'm telling you. I don't, I don't get it. I thought it was just genetics, but maybe it is stem cells. But anyway, so uh, yeah, uh, I like that thing because it's got dual mode street and track mode. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. going to be wearing the crap out of that thing this mm-hmm. year. So, shockingly comfortable to wear. It's not annoying. It doesn't get in the way. You got to wear a jacket that's a little bit bigger. Yeah. Uh, preferably with expansion panels. Yeah. If you lose the weight, though. That's the tree. And that's what I've been doing. So all right. The reason I know what I weigh right now is because everything's getting baggy on me, but somehow I haven't lost any pounds. And I guess the old adage that muscle's heavier than fat is coming into play here. Yeah, man. It's because I'm jacked, bro. I'm not, I'm not really jacked at all. Not even a little bit. I'm just this marshmallow stay puff guy. Slightly toasted because I'm, you know. From the Iran. From the Iran. What have you been doing on two wheels lately? So, oh my God. I'm just, I'm just slammed. That's why I am. Uh, it's that time of year. It is. I'm starting to feel it. There's a lot of, there's just this vibration in the air. It's just like, all right, shit's happening. My last week was a day long, I think. So just flying by, I think part of it, what it is, is with COVID and the lockdown and all that, everything's kind of fucked up. Right. Especially, I think last episode we talked about the supply chain thing that's mm-hmm. going on. So that's that's trickled into a lot of things but i think one of the bigger ones is it's really delayed a lot of the 2021 models coming out right and we see it like we didn't really have a new bike season in that october november time frame and instead we're seeing a lot of manufacturers just kind of trickling out bikes as they're hitting the production lines because they didn't really know when those bikes were going to go into production so one of those like ktm was i think a good example that ducati's another one uh, and Aprilia. So mm-hmm. I just got an invite for the Aprilia RSV4 launch in Laguna Seca. Nice. That's next week. So I'm going to be going and doing that. I've got the Ducati Monster launch uh, in San Francisco, I think a week or two after that. Okay. And then I've got my first race round smashed in between the two of them. So I'm just kind of running around trying to like get shit done. I've, I've literally bought about a season's worth of tires, oil, brake pads, Oil Fuel. filters, 
Oh, what else? I got like three chains. Like I am super concerned that like middle of summer is going to roll around and all these things are not going to be there anymore. Right. Yeah. And like you're starting to see that. I've talked to, I talked to someone today and they're like, oh yeah, I tried to get a oil filter for a shoot. What was it? Like a Honda or Yamaha, some Japanese back. Like, yep, those aren't available anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a little scary. I mean, we as a dealership are sort of preloading as well because we're, it's it's only natural, right? It's let's call it a domino effect. There was a period in time, at least for our dealership, where we're dealing with Italy, where Italy was just simply shut down. Period. Yeah, there's nothing going on. There was no factories open. Nothing was happening, and they were just trying to keep the country from imploding with this pandemic. And so now you're gonna deal with the, you know, the effect of it, this ripple effect that'll come along later on, where uh there's going to be a slowdown on some things that's the theory anyways right and so what you can do the best thing you can do as any business is try to be or as someone trying to have a race season is try to be in front of that as best as you can and prepare yourself and hope that you have everything in place yeah no, right? we don't have that magic eight ball we don't know what's going to happen maybe everything will be fine it might catch up um i just don't want to be in my house without toilet paper again man that's all i'm saying no for sure right and like it's funny like you say that because like carbon fiber there's no carbon fiber anywhere right now no it's all stuck in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Suez Canal thing didn't help us. The The shipping container shortage isn't helping us. The supply chains, like I just read yesterday that India is going through its second wave right now. Like that's mm-hmm. going to have huge implications for any brands that's doing production in India. Mm-hmm. Um, like KTM is probably going to get bitten in the ass on that one pretty hard. Um, so and like all it takes is, you know, an outbreak, you know, in Africa is going to shut down a bunch of the apparel. If there's an outbreak in northern Africa, Tunisia, that area, right? Alpine Stars, Dainese, any of these brands that have things out there. If there's an outbreak in Vietnam or Southeast Asia, you're going to see a bunch of like that's where a lot of like leather stuff is made. Um, yeah, it's gonna have it's gonna have huge effects. So, FYI, you know, if you're just getting your bike out of the garage and stuff, maybe stock up on some stuff at yeah, your, your get dealer. On get on it. And also, I mean, it's a seasonal, well, for us, it's a seasonal thing anyways. And so compound with that with suddenly, let's say three quarters of the motorcycling population, that may be a fair weather rider saying, oh shit, I got to go yeah. do this, this, and this on my bike. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of wheels in motion that are slowing this thing down a little bit. Yeah. You uh, said it, uh, well, I don't know how many episodes ago, but four or five ago, you were like, Hey, it's going to be springtime soon. Yeah. Get ahead of the wave. Right. Now we're in the wave. The wave is at its waves here. It's cresting. You better be pedaling. Yeah, you're not paddling. You're gonna get paddling, rolled, rolled, rolled over. Or pedal. You know, if you have a bicycle that floats. Yeah. Uh, I got a fuel test coming up for the Ooh. Kramer. Okay. Um, so it's interesting. One of the things when we built the motor, we we increased the compression substantially, which means I can't use some fuels like MR12. I can't use MR12, which is a great fuel to make horsepower. Mm-hmm. Really easy. It's like it's just liquid horsepower basically. But you can't use it. But it's like 93 octane. So can't use it. Motor rule pings. So that means I have to use a higher octane, less powerful fuel. U4 is the go-to in the VP line on that. But that's like, for my own testing, that's a three to four horsepower drop. So you may have gained three or three or four horsepower by the, you know, stuff we did with the engine internals. But because we can't use the same fuel, we're almost back to square one. Huh. So one of the things I'm trying to do is finding a fuel um, outside of VP's fuel lineup that will get me back to that horsepower number or help me 
replace the horsepower loss from not using MR12. The constant chase for horsepower. It is. And so it's fun. So I've got uh, two fuels from Sunoco, one fuel from ETS. Uh, the ETS fuel hopefully is showing up tomorrow. It was kind of funny. Like, I guess they didn't do some paperwork and it never left California when they shipped it to me. <laughs> I always think about when they ship these highly flammable liquids. Literally came in a cardboard box. Totally safe. Not totally fine. <laughs> It's I fine. mean, it was like a fine. double layer cardboard, but it was kind of thick. And it's got like the little flammable sticker on the side. Yeah. But you're just kind of sitting going like, because the UPS guy just left it right on my doorstep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're like, really? There's there's like 80 pounds of flammable fuel on the, my doorstep. The human side of any logistic thing is where there is room for error. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes that's where it gets a little bit, let's say, fucky. Yeah. So, yeah, that was interesting. Um, I'll have results for that. Probably not next show, but the show after. Cool. We'll probably talk about it. So dyno and everything. Yeah, we'll go. It, we won't be able to dyno it before the first round, which is a bummer. Um, just mostly because my schedule got all screwed up and that fuel is coming late. Um, so I'm a little upset about that, but we'll be doing it the Monday after the race. So I'll have it for the next five rounds. Nice. Yeah. That'll be exciting. I'm curious to see what you hopefully gain. I hope there's some gains to be made there. Uh, the fuels are interesting. You know, there's some interesting stuff to be to be seen. Um, so yeah, mm. TBD. TBD. Um, bu- 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 I said I'm going to the RSV4 launch, but this week we saw the new 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 Aprilia Tuono V4 and Shaheen. They oh, showed we got us to see the other side. We got to see both sides. I'm of it. super excited, and yeah. you know what? It's hell. It's ha- handsome. Like the, I was expecting some god awful exhaust on there. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah, I feel like that motor was already Euro five A in my head. I feel like it's been Euro five A for a while. Oh yeah, um, it's a handsome bike. I like what they've done. Do you? Yep. It's it's. I think again, I've always said this. If if a design is sort of safe, then it'll sell more. If it's super polarizing, then you're going to, you know, have love-hate relationship with it. Case in point, the bike that's downstairs right now that I rode here, the original Tuono, really weird-looking bike. I love it, and a lot of people who are in the industry love it, but to most, to the average rider, they look at it and go, yes, I love it or I hate it. There's no, like, nobody ever looks at that bike and goes, that's all right. I've always liked that generation. The previous generation Tuono wasn't as big of a fan, right? but I really like that generation Melee. Yes. So, so I think this one is a little more, you know, sort of safe looking, right? That that's sort of the, you know, the, the the design language is not exciting per se. It's just a bike that looks good. Like I don't think it's an ugly bike at all. It's kind of like the old <clears throat> Tuono V4 on the back, and it's like the new Tuono 660 in the front, right? Styling wise, right. which I don't know, like. <laughs> I think the ADD in me gets disappointed when I see things kind of recycled like that. What was really interesting for me, Shaheen, was they really seem like they're trying to stratify the base model to one of E4 as kind of a touring option. Mm-hmm. It's got a larger sc- uh, windscreen. It's got a bigger uh, seat for the pillion. It, there's talk of some semi-rigid bags. I mean, we talked about that being a good idea. Yeah. And then the factory model is still that kind of very racy 
sport bikey focused machine. Right. So I kind of like that they're coming at it from both angles. Because you, yeah, you're right. You and I have talked about how like yeah. they need a, a sport touring like option. They should have just the Tuono GT. Just call it something that like places it in its own little pedestal. Right. And the dealerships can just say, yeah, this is the option. This is the one that you can, yeah, you can ride it aggressively, but you can also, you know, throw some bags on there and do some light duty touring because these come with cruise control and all that stuff. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. Um, they should have shown it with the bags on, but case okay, sera sera. But we that's a, so that is an Aprilia option then? You can get the bags? Yes. Optional. I'm into it. Uh, don't have word on pricing. I do believe it'll be in U.S. dealers come early June. Cool. Maybe end of May, but definitely early June. Well, I think, again, we're talking about logistics, so let's see how that works yeah. out. I would rather, you know, under-promise and over-deliver in this case. It'd be really cool if it showed up in May, but I would not I would bet on June. Yeah. And that, it's got all the same kind of updates that the, the RSV4 had, which means uh, it's got a new Magneti Morelli ECU, which means different electronics, different wheelie control setup now. Hmm. Um, it's got more... Uh, adjustability for the engine brake control i think that's the big one really is the engine brake control and then there's more like rider map modes that you can make amongst other things i'm really excited about the idea of this sort of smaller v4 you know fairly fire breathing sport touring type bike this this fits a niche that i think a lot of our listeners like because if you're in your let's say in your 40s or so or 50s and you want a bike that's super capable on the twisty bits but doesn't mm-hmm. need to break your neck or your wrists this this uh sort of i'm going to call it the gt model yeah the base model it, it really scratches that itch i mean if you look at it that windshield's a lot taller and yeah you know more forward facing so it looks like it's trying to cut some wind and this is not going to be your honda Goldwing type going through the wind you're still going to feel it but you're going to be a lot more comfortable when you're cruising at 80 miles an hour on the highway but that's clearly what not this this bike is not really made for it's made for fun back road touring uh, kind of makes me think of the um, KTM twelve ninety GT. Yeah, so I think it's like, in that vein. Yeah, if it had the if it had the so the thing with the GT, and this is like I'd still lean to the G, towards the GT for my for my wants here, right? Purely because more fairing, mm-hmm. hard bags, uglier. <laughs> I don't know. Again, polarizing, but, but, right? but really, super polarizing. Actually, I hate the way the GT looks. I hate it. Like, I don't. As long as I don't have to look at it while I'm riding, I forget I'm fine. about how it looks as soon as I ride it. Yeah, because it's, it's a fun bike. It's super fun, and that's kind of how I am with the Twin. Fun bike. Am I going to really care too much how it looks when I'm on it, having a really good time? Yeah. Maybe not. Uh, oh, forgot to mention the new swing arm. That's a big change. Ooh. Um, you know how excited we get about new swing arms? Yeah, you know, you know, bro. <laughs> super green. Um. <laughs> Anybody else want to negotiate? <laughs> I like it. I'm super excited about this bike. I think this is a good-looking dash. Look at that. Yeah, the dash is a little bigger. So handsome. Yeah. So now, I am you or no I am you? Is this another one of an no, addition? No, no, no. It's like, going to IMU. So the V4 Tuono has the an V4's... IMU. You don't have to add it on. <laughs> Correct. Okay. <laughs> I just want to get my shit straight. I want to get my Aprilia lingo straight. Yeah, man. you know, they, they bamboozled us on that they 660. They super bamboozled us. I was heckin', heckin' concerned. Hacking concerned. <laughs> uh, um, I gotta tell you, I really like Aprilia's new thing where they put the lowercase a in the middle of the fairing. It just. I, I think it that. needs more bear acer hashtags. Hashtag bear acer. 
I love hashtag bear racer a lot. I like that yesterday was Aprilia day. Like the hashtag was April 14. Oh. And they're trying to make that like Aprilia day. Oh, that's, that's, new, that's That's I the like new it. one this year. Somebody was getting creative yeah. in marketing. I see what you're doing. Yeah. I'm into it. All right. All right. All right. It's a stretch, but I like it. Right on. <laughs> What's Shaheen day? Can't come up I don't with know them. if it works that way. We'll just call it February 17th. That's just my <laughs> goddamn name. <laughs> yeah. No, um... I feel like this is the last one of E4. You think before, so? Before we see a massive, like, all new, all new. Oh, like a full-on rebuild. This, yeah, I feel like this is the last hurrah for it. Like, maybe they'll milk this design for another year or two. Do you think the next iteration will have the current 2021 RSV4 engine? Because didn't that get a little bit of a boost? No, the, the, they're all pretty much the same. Oh, I thought the news was that Tuono V4 had the old v4 engine that the and the new uh-uh. rs v4 has a larger motor Mm-mm. huh where did i uh, i mean like the-, the rsv4 is a 1099 now so i guess in that sense of it yeah you're right right um so maybe this gets a bump to 1099 at some point but i don't know i wouldn't really call those motors that different yeah because they're pretty much it's just pretty much bored out just gonna swing for 200 plus horses i guess yeah. Yeah, I mean I guess I could put that. I do feel that this bike, this the RSV4 and the 20 V4, mm-hmm. they've been they've been at it for like a decade. Like there is a little bit of it's like, okay, so like I know you guys keep dressing them up in new outfits. But What's eventually that? eventually you gotta get a new prom date. You can't keep <laughs> coming back to prom with the same date. She keeps buying a new dress, but but she's still pretty, and she's I like, pretty, I like I mean, hanging out know, with her. And you know, we we have good times when we go through the canyons, she's holding got great hands personality. and giggling. Yeah, I, I am, I am, kind of impressed with how long they've made this go, and they've done a good enough job of constantly changing the way it looks a little bit, where it's a little more. Because every year when we talk about our favorite leader bikes, Aprilia always comes up, mm-hmm. right? The Absolutely. V4 has always been at the top of our list of this is like one of the most fun bikes to ride. My so, money, that's the one I'm buying, right? Yeah. It's always been Jensen Beeler's leader bike. So they're doing a decent enough job of kind of being like, well, okay, if if, if the hard-hitting critics are still liking it, mm, it's doing all right. And that's and when you talk to them, that's what they say. And that's fine. Uh I, I mean it's a great like it's a great line, it's a great position to be in. Right. But a company that's not willing to challenge itself is a company that worries me as well. If you're not willing to if you're only willing to push the bar when someone else challenges you. Right. That concerns me. Like you should always be challenging to push the bar further or further. And there's a little part of me that's like, I feel like Aprilia is scared to make a new V4, to make a new superbike platform, to make a new Street Fighter platform because maybe what they come up with won't be as good as the old one. Uh, I, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from with that, but I, I'm I'm one of those people who believes in progress, and I can't imagine that they're going to make another v4 and make it not be as good as this one i mean yeah there's a chance you'll fuck it up but i think aprilia has been putting all of their thought and energy and money into that 660 and so now i'm hoping now that the 660s come out and it's been a successful awesome bike and everybody seems to like it it's all right it's all right he'll do the thing so it's meaning Uh, okay uh, so now that they've done that my hope is now it's like cool now let's put the attention on the big boy i think you're right i think you're right to an extent i think I think that's how they operate, where mm-hmm. it's not it's it's more serial in thinking than parallel. Right. 
Um, I mean, Ducati has a five-year turnaround between designs. That's usually about how long a Ducati design lasts. Three to five years for a bike, typically. For a bike, yeah. But I'm talking Italian, specifically the brand I'm used to. So I'm wondering if Aprilia is kind of being like, well, okay, if people are seem to be okay with oh, that. Oh, you mean in its lifespan? Right. Yeah, okay. Right? It, it, every time you, they introduce a design, it seems to be right on the five-year mark, you get a new one. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering if Aprilia is kind of like, if that's the case, if we're another luxury Italian brand, why not? Make it last. I'll, 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 I'll look at my crystal ball here. I think part of it is they're waiting for their MotoGP program to be, how do I put this politely? Less of a joke. <laughs> because, but like you think about it, like, you know, what would be a really rad successor mm-hmm. to the RSV4? RSV5. Would be what the RSGP kind of looks like now. The RSGP right now looks like, that's fucking craziness right there. Yeah. That we both would, talked about that. Yeah, we, oh, like we kinda, it. it's like my secret favorite yeah. MotoGP bike yeah. right now. I mean, I love the Suzuki the most, I think. But that that <laughs> Aprilia gets me just kind of like, what the fuck were you doing? Right uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, it's it's obviously it's made leaps and bounds for this season already. And we'll we'll hopefully see good results in um, Portugal this weekend. And they got Davizioso testing on it and all this stuff. But I feel like when that kind of gets right then we could see them come out with something similar like that for the street market. Right. And 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 use that whole marketing like built on MotoGP DNA and blah, 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 blah. And I just think maybe they're just not there yet or they're just waiting or it's in that timeline. Like they're still kind of waiting. I don't know. I really hope that the whoever does the next design for the Aprilia lineup will will take a little bit more risk on the design and have a little more fun with it. And honestly, the thing that made me fall in love with Aprilia was that first iteration RSV Mille and my, and my Tuono, that, that Triclops headlight and the kind of weirdness, mm, quirky, mm-hmm. weird, goofy-looking, you know, Jetson's taillight on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were the things that made me went, cool, this is a company that makes really weird, cool shit. That's awesome. And since then, they've not been, like, super cool. Like, I mean, they're cool bikes. And they're all right, they're really, really cool bikes. But the design has not made me go, whoa, that's amazing. And so the GP bike that just came out, that's sort of like a, whoa, that's an amazing right. looking bike. Again, I will always say, Aprilia's have always been handsome looking bikes to me. I've always thought they're really good looking bikes, but none of them have been like, holy shit, what the fuck is that? Like some mad scientist didn't design them. And somebody that was kind of a little bit more of a mad, crazy designer in the late 90s, early 2000s were like, yeah, let's do three headlights on it, make it goofy looking. And, you know, remember the Futura? Like the goofiest looking bike ever, but they're fun to ride and they were, they were memorable to me. So I'm hoping that the next whatever the next design language in Aprilia is, is going to be a, just, a, just a little bit more risky because you are an Italian company. You are making an upmarket cool thing and you know just make it stand out a little bit. I don't want to park a RSV4 next to a CBR1000 and go, hmm. Yeah. I've always thought of Aprilia as the, the Lamborghini to Ducati's Ferrari. And I think that's, that might be considered like an insult to, to some people listening, but I don't mean it that way. But you look at Ferrari, Ferrari's always had like a very specific design language and it's very right. refined and it's it's almost conservative, but it's like that Italian conservative, so it still looks good. And I think that's kind of what Ducati's doing right mm-hmm. now. And Lamborghini was always yeah. the one like, oh, that's cool. That's a really pretty car, Ferrari. You made a really, that's a beautiful. Yeah, real functional. That's a really beautiful La Ferrari. It's very beautiful. It's very nice. Um, we gave our designers acid though. <laughs> So that's how we got the Aventador Isn't and all those craziness. <laughs> I, I saw a green, I saw a green fucking Lamborghini today. And I was just like, like you just sit there and you're just like, that's some fucking crazy shit. It's not like 
two, you know, standard deviations are crazy, but it's like one standard deviation of crazy. Like it's on that, it's on the crazy scale for sure. And I think that's kind of what Aprilia has some license to do where it's like, Hey, have fun with it. Yeah, we you know like we're gonna push that performance package further. We're gonna make some crazy wind looks like look at our GP bike. It looks we're doing some things there. Right. And we're gonna bring that into our street program. We're gonna be doing some things here too. I there's the opportunity there to like take a little bit more chance, take a little bit more risk. Because like what are you gonna do at the end of the day? Like, oh no, we might not sell five hundred bikes in the US market. They sell more than that, but yeah, it's like how many bikes do they sell in the US market off the top of my head? Four thousand. That's ish. That's yeah. that's conservative, right? Or that's generous. I think. I think oh. that number is going to change majorly with S660. Oh, I think so too. I think this year we'll they 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 keep reporting record things, yeah. and I keep trying to like get them to give me hard numbers so I can report about it, and they're like weird about it. But I, I don't even think they know how to catch up with that report yet. Yeah, because they're so, used to they're used to using an abacus, and now they have to use an actual fucking calculator. Like, what is all like, these? There's real numbers do? now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing where it's like you're not. Like you, you're in the position to rock the boat because right. there's not like like a lot to lose. Like, oh, what if sales went to thirty nine hundred instead of four thousand? Like, oh yeah, oh gee, what a day that would be. I mean, my my general stance on motorcycling is that we, at least in America, we do it for fun, right? It's it's this thing that we do. It's an addition to our garage, and maybe it's me. Maybe it's the guy that wants to paint his bike Tiffany blue. But like, don't make it boring. Make it fun. There's no reason not to make it fun. It's it's a fun entertaining lifestyle at the end of the day and i get it that there's plenty of dude bros out there that want to murder that shit out but like cool let them murder it out but yeah. have some fun with it give it some cool shapes and that's you know that's why that's why i get so excited about bikes like the ktm 1290 gt yes you can say it's ugly or you can say it's handsome but it makes it polarizing you have to have an you you are you're almost forced to form an opinion on that design you don't just get to look at it and go yeah it's all right i'm about to make the best transition we've ever made on this show do it so you want to paint your bike Tiffany blue? Hell yeah. That is a uh, alpine blue. That is an alpine blue. Yeah. But you're looking at an MV Augusta F3. But it's gorgeous. This is one of my favorite liveries. It's like this powder yeah. blue that they came out with. And I was just like, fucking A, Cotton. And it's awesome. It's awesome. That like, that bike is going to show up to the showroom and you be a jewel in the middle of it. That yeah. is such a gorgeous color to me. I mean, it already starts. Like, I already think the F3 is one of the most beautiful bikes yes. out there. And um, the transition is MV Augusta right now is is updating their 800 cc three cylinder lineup, so Ooh. they're all getting Euro five and okay um, IMUs and 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 the things. Um, they're getting like a nuke slash cut exhaust. What else is being updated? See, MV Augusta has always been to me that company that made really fucking cool looking bikes. Every one of their bikes, every one of them, even if the ones that were, you, uh, I can't remember the name of the one that I didn't love particularly, but even that looks The Rivale? So cool. Which one? The Rivale? Yeah, the Rivale. I kind of liked it in a weird way. In a weird way. Not my way. favorite, though. Right, but even that, you know, for being my least favorite, was still a bike that I was like, that's cool looking. Like, that is a neat bike. What was the other one? The Stradale? The Stradale was like, I think I hated the Stradale more. I don't know. They're kind of weird bikes. Like the Dragster? I can't stop staring at it. I don't like the dragster. I don't like riding the dragster. Yeah, I don't I'll know what the hell. I don't know, what, I don't know what category it sits in, but it's a cool looking bike to me. But uh, that F three just showed me, and that that alpine blue. Yeah. Holy moly, that is gorgeous. It's Adrian Morton, and it's not even my favorite color. Blue's not even close to being my favorite color. But it's I'm so tired of seeing the same yellow, the same red, the same black. Right, like give me something. <laughs> yeah, I want to get back to this MV thing because I had a couple ideas on this I want to talk to you about. But we did um, a limited edition shirt for our racing series omra mm-hmm. and we we're like let's make it green 
let's make it crazy because right. like almost all of our Omer shirts are like black or yeah, gray. Everything's or white. black. And like, let's just make it green. It's a limited edition thing. That way, like, you can be seen in the paddock as a supporter of the the thing. Like, it's easy to just pop out. There's only right. so many colors you can wear. The racetrack, you can't wear red, you can't wear yellow. Let's just make it. Let's just make it green. And the design on it, I think, like the fonts and the design itself is really good. And it's like a green on green. And man, did we get a lot of pushback <laughs> when we actually released it. And you sit there and you're just like, yeah, because motorcycle guys at the black. end of the day, just. I just want to wear black leather on my black bike that I put chrome on. It's so boring. Super fun. I mean, I get it. I get it. It's safe. It's a safe color. But it's super boring. It's a safe color. It's a super duper safe color. And it's, you know, like in my little world, everything is red. So as soon as I see something not red, I'm like, ooh, that's cool. Like, I'm excited to see a couple of black bikes here and there in our our little showroom. But yeah, it, it... Every time one of these companies makes a really cool, neat motorcycle, it sells out immediately, right? The the Diavel uh, Lamborghini, the the every time Envy Augusta like wrote the book on doing stuff like that, you know, making really cool one-off motorcycles that sells out like in three hours when they make like six hundred of them. So, I I think you know there is something to be said for any time a designer takes a little bit of a risk, has a little bit of fun and make something that's a little bit weird and has some cool colors to it because people are noticing that and people want that and you know it feels a little bit exclusive to them because in a sea of black and red and yellow motorcycles as soon as you make some crazy lime green thing or alpine blue thing you're like oh okay i noticed that yeah that's cool makes a statement makes a statement kind of like this ktm that the uh, hopefully we're going to talk about that sold out in like 45 minutes i don't know what you're talking about that's not on my list fucking amazing yeah it is, yeah, it is. um we'll get to that MV Augusta. Because here's the thing that gets me, right? And I was going to write the story today, and I haven't yet. So okay. after the show, hopefully. Because, um, like, one of my favorite bikes is the Brutale. Yes. It's really fun to oh, ride. So good. Really beautiful. The motor's great. I love everything about that bike, especially the RR. Mm-hmm. In fact, like, a little out of my price range. But I would spend Jensen dollars on a, on a Brutale RR. Like, that would be a bike... I'd be happy with my garage. Can't buy one anywhere nearby. No. And so I'm curious with you. You're a GM at a motorcycle dealership, one of the most well-known dealerships in America. Mm -hmm. What would it take or what does MV need to do to get you to look at them? What would they have to change? Where are the deficiencies? Is it it a deficiency in the product? Is it a deficiency in the support, the design, the reputation? Where... What factors, what buttons do they need to push support. and fix to get you? Support. Support. What does yeah. that mean? Uh, I don't know if I can speak for every dealership, but if you can have after-sales support, then you're going to have a more successful relationship with your brand and your customers, right? At the end of the day, as a dealership, we are the middle person between what you're selling and who's buying it. And... Even if you give me 20 motorcycles that I can sell and they make me great money, but at the end of it, after that sales happened, I don't have support for warranty or parts or just general help, then it makes the experience kind of, it muddies it up. So is that like, when you because I guess like support, I'm, I guess I'm looking for more specifics. Like, is that like, hey, we need to have, you need to prove to me that spare parts can be gotten to my dealership within. Right. 24 hours it's, or whatever. It's a, multi, or, it's a multi-layered thing, this whole support thing, right? It could be anything from 
uh, all right, let's break it down. When you buy a motorcycle, you have your your initial sale. So the initial sale that has support, like you know, the the manufacturer will give you a little bit of incentive money so that you can give the customer a little bit of a break, um, or maybe make some extra money on it. And then they will hopefully have had a good relationship with a bank that's their quote unquote OEM bank uh, that can give you some good incentives for the cut to pass on to the customer. So that's the first layer of support. Like, like a finance ability to finance right. it. Finance or cash incentives or whatever you've got so that that customer can have a an additional value to the motorcycle aside from the experience that they get to have at the dealership. Because that is the first thing a customer looks at and then realizes that there's a whole value. As a dealership, you should be pushing the value of how good you are as a dealership, if you are truly that good, to make it worthwhile a customer buying something from you. Because at the end of the day, people can buy the thing anywhere they want to buy it. They're going to buy it from someone that they trust, like, want to interact with. And as a motorcycle dealership, one of the, I'm going to call it privileges that we have is that we get to hang out as like a, almost like a quote unquote clubhouse with our customers. And so you got to be able to deliver all that. So a lot of the sales part of it comes from the dealership, but you require a little bit of support from the manufacturer to help you move the item along. Now, after the sale is done, the thing that customers deal with is the service side of things, right? and the parts and accessories side of things. So as a manufacturer, you hopefully have a good supply chain and a good logistic uh, solution to be able to constantly feed your dealerships the things that they need from actual tangible products to knowledge. If I call you and go, hey, something's going on with this dashboard that we've never seen before, you should have an answer for us of, oh, try this, try this, try this. And if that doesn't work, we're going to send you a new dashboard. So if you can't do that, and if you don't have the bandwidth for it, then it's not going to lead to a good experience. And that's why I always sort of, you know, will grip my teeth if any de- if any manufacturer comes along and says, hey, I can do this, this, and this. And then when you ask them about, you know, after sales support and they go, oh, we're working on this, this, and this. I'm not interested in waiting for you to work on it. What do you have now? I think one of the biggest mistake mistakes anyone can make is... Once you make the sale, forgetting about that customer, because that customer mm. is going to look to you for that support. Totally. And so as a dealership, you need to have that the backing of the manufacturer that helps you train your people, train your techs, and have people that you can call and get an immediate response from and parts and accessories that you'll need immediately. If I'm going to buy a motorcycle like an MV Augusta and I have to wait five months for a a seal or whatever the hell to show up, that's not good support. That doesn't make you feel good about the thing that you've bought. And so a lot of brands, a lot of these really cool niche coach type brands like MV Augusta have, if you ask people on the street, this reputation that, oh, that's not the only bike I will own. It can't be the only bike in my garage because I can't necessarily lean on that to be reliable all the time. Sure. And that's Probably not true anymore. A lot of modern motorcycles are fine and reliable and great to ride. Even an older MV Agusta, you know, F4, was it an F4 1000? Is that what that is? I think yeah. it is. Those are fairly fairly reliable motorcycles. They're, they're really solid chassis. But there's always that little voice in the back here that goes, I'm a little bit terrified of what it's like to take care of this thing post-purchase. Yeah. Right? So that's what I look for from anybody. So if MV Agusta truly has that kind of backing, then as a dealership, not just Motocorsa, but any dealership, you should say, yeah, that's a really badass brand. You don't need that much of it. They don't have a huge footprint, but it brings in people that are curious about it and it and it opens up the, the doors of possibilities of other customers that maybe you didn't have before. And yeah, of course, for someone like us, 
it's worth a conversation because the closest place you can buy an Ambiagusta to Portland is in Bellevue, Washington out of a Kawasaki dealership. <laughs> and I know why you're chuckling. Talking about that, experience, right? Right, right, exactly. It doesn't let you have the Ambiagusta experience because when you're buying a premium motorcycle like that, that's going to cost you over $20,000 typically, no offense to Kawasaki's. I've owned plenty of them. I love them to death. But the experience you have at a Kawasaki dealership is not what you're going to expect to get from an MB Augusta or a Ducati or not an Aprilia or KTM dealership. Yeah, you want to have that special treatment when you're paying special pricing for something. So that's the closest one to us, which is about four hours away from Portland. And then you got to go down to California. You know. I got to pay sales tax like a sucker. Well, if you live in Oregon, you don't. But yeah. Um, you know, then you got to go to California Bay Area, basically, so ten hours away from here. Yeah. So yeah, it would make sense for us to have something like that. But there, the conversation is going to be a very serious conversation of how do you take care of us post sales. That's a great thing to to bring up because it's I was in the dealership, I was in your dealership today, mm-hmm. hoarding parts like a madman, <laughs> and I walked past. You have a Hyper Motard nine fifty SP with the Termi exhaust, right? And I went fuck because <laughs> you tried to sell me one last year, and I was uh-huh. like. I'll still, I'll still sell you one. I miss having a hypermotard. Yeah. I really liked having that bike. That was a real tough bike for me to sell. It, it fits a lot of my city commuting wants and needs and desires. Yeah. But I remember the mental process I went through when I bought my 821. So I had an 821, then I got a 939, and now I desire a 950 after I did the launch. Correct. Um, really like that bike. But... I bought a Street Fighter 1098 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a great, hasn't been a great ownership experience in the sense that I had a weird electrical issue mm-hmm. that wasn't common. Took it to three dealers in the San Francisco Bay Area. They were unable to fix it each time. Oh, yeah, it's taken care of. It's fine. It's taken care of. In the dealership for like two months each time. Can't fix it. Can't fix it. Can't fix it. Finally got up to here. Took it to Moto Corsa. AJ, Master Tech, probably one of the best oh, Ducati techs in bike whisperer. North America. Yeah, the bike was the Ducati Whisperer. He he whatever he's done to it has fixed the problem. Mm-hmm. And that was and that was my thing. We're like, okay, here's a dealership that their service department is obviously head and shoulders above what I've been dealing with. The sales side is obviously very fun. I would not have bought another Ducati had I still lived in San Francisco. Because I didn't feel the after sale support. I right. wasn't, it was taking a long time for things to get fixed. Things weren't getting fixed. Parts took a little while to get to me. Wasn't feeling the love. But part of what made me buy that 821, actually a huge part of what made me buy that 821, was I felt safe. I felt like, okay, uh, I've got the regional service manager who I'm doing a podcast with. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, this dealership that's super engaged and, and all about keeping the customers happy. I've got this tech, uh, the service department that's a rock star. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get taken care of. So if I have another Street Fighter incident, and I'll admit that the Street Fighter thing is like a, it's a one-off. It's a weird thing. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a, it's whatever. But if I have another one of those, I'm going to get taken care of. And that's the same thing we were talking about with the multi-starter before recall. It's the same thing we've been talking about with the BMW recalls. It's mm-hmm. like all the customer wants at the end of the day is to know after they bought the bike, they're going to be taken care of. Correct. And if it's going to take you two months to get a wheel bearing and then, you know, some guy's going to fat finger it into your bike and maybe do it incorrectly and 800 miles down the road, 
you're going to have issues with it. And then that guy's no longer at the dealership or that dealership's closed down. Mm-hmm. And now you got to deal with a new person. <clears> and, and then the warranty office is like, well, we're not going to honor that one, that, that work because, uh, it was uh, three months ago. And, uh, that's, we only cover our work for two months and, right. uh, pound sand buddy. <laughs> like, then that's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to have that experience. I'll go buy a fucking Honda. Yeah. Done. Right. And that's the, that's the most difficult thing that you can have as any company if you've got any sort of a shady reputation even if that's in the past people love bringing that old shit up it takes a long time to get rid of that long time to get rid of that i mean we've always said it and 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 anyone listening and you've probably experienced this as well you can do something really 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 well and people i mean we say this all the time you do it really 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 well and people will only tell it to people that are nearest and dearest to them they want to they kind of want to protect that secret like it's like my little thing I'm going to go there and get taken care of. But if you fuck something up and you give somebody a bad experience, they're going to tell everybody in the world about it. And that news spreads so quickly, it's not even funny. And it takes a lot of work to reel that back in and to prove that it's fixed. So if you're a company, a global company, like a car company or a motorcycle company, and you have a reputation for in the past having built things that were not that uh reliable or you know they were hand built and you know there was always something going on with them then you're going to spend a long time fixing that and saying no guys guys and girls here here is the new product it's more reliable it's better built the quality is great the the relationship that you'll have with your dealership is going to be better because we're going to support you and that part is very dynamic there's so many moving parts that it takes a while to prove it. You have to show consistently that you're doing the thing. So then the Jensen Beelers and the, and the Spurgeon Dunbars of the world will talk about it in the, in the world. And, and, and I like that you reference Spurgeon. I know I was trying to think of, you know, who else, but people that, you know, the people that are the sort he's of so handsome, he's so handsome. Um, and never forget Troy Sehan. <laughs> Um, but no, the people that truly influence motorcyclists, right? The, the, the journalists, the ones that we look to, to have answers will go, yeah, no, this is actually a great product. I write it. I check it out. I'll buy it. I think it's an awesome thing, but still you want to make sure that when you go to a dealership, they're always going to be able to take care of you. And that dealership can only take care of you as far as the manufacturer will allow them to. Right. And so it's just, just, it's just this chain of events that has to consistently happen every day, constantly over and over again. So if MV Augusta wants to be in any dealership, they need to prove to that dealership that they have the bandwidth and the ability and the logistic whereabout, you know, know-how to handle that, that, that constant over, over cycle. It's like the least sexiest thing. I worked for a startup that worked on support, support chain, right? Support, support chain, support, support chain logistics. They did, they did thing with the support chain <laughs> and it's the least sexy business you can ever do with it oh yeah man and i just sit there and you're problem I mean, solving all that day. whole job was crazy just to begin with that was a whole <laughs> we could just that was a whole bunch of craziness that was going on i'll tell you after the show <laughs> crazy but like for how unsexy it is it's so important so important and it, and it really is like it's not a it's not a thing that you can do easily like it's not like you can just be like oh well you just need to like stock more parts and you need to do this and that it's like no, there's some there's some Jedi Master bullshit that you're gonna have to learn and perfect, right. and like you're not gonna just be able to walk into like your office and be like Shaheen, boom, we just did it last night. We right. we right. snapped our fingers, 
I wouldn't believe you. We brought a whole (laughs) boatload of parts over. Right. And we're ready to go, buddy. And you'd be like, well, let's talk about your like dealer ordering back end and your, you know, what's your just in time delivery dates looking like? What are your margins? And how are you empowering your regional service managers to deal with problems that are, you know, kind of two standard deviations away from the normal? And what Mm -hmm. if someone comes in after their one year warranty? It's 13 months out from their purchase and how are you going to deal with that guy? Because it's really, it should still be under warranty even though it's not right. I mean, a salesperson's job, I don't care if you're selling ice cream or motorcycles or, you know, printers, your job is to be a yes man. Your job is just to say, yep, I can take care of the thing. Absolutely. Yes. Because someone that's buying from you, if you tell them no, they're going to go, well, what the fuck? You can't do the thing. And that's a, that's a really, I think, I think it's a wrong attitude to have about it. I, you're better off giving the, your dealerships a realistic expectation because that expectation gets pushed down the line to the end user that ends up being the client from the dealership. Mm. And so one of the things, it's funny, you know, being on in my position, you know, I work with our, our regional sales manager who is the yes man, it's his job, but he's a very realistic person. But then I also work with the service area, you know, the, the actual service manager and his job is to be the no man. Like he's like, no, this shit's not possible. I don't know who told you. <laughs> so it's it's a who told you you could put two wheels on a motorcycle. Right? <laughs> so just imagine those are just two people out of an entire company, and the magic happens when all of them work well together and can allow you to have the support that you need. And and I don't care if you're a manufacturer or a dealership or asphalt and rubber. At the end of the day, it's just this constant battle to make it flow properly and put out tiny little fires every day to make it right for you. So I don't envy any of these manufacturers that have got a little bit of a reputation, let's say not in a good way, that are trying to make it, you know, work. So I don't know. I Now that we've talked about this, I'm hoping somebody from MV Augusta is actually listening to this. They're like, <laughs> I'm going to call that motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck yeah, call me, man. Yeah. I like the conversation. I want to see where it goes just in, just in case it happens. Well, I have a feeling we're going to revisit this conversation in like a month's time. I think you're right. TBD. TBD. Um, Vague book. Talking about, yeah, talking <laughs> about uh, things that we're revisiting. I want to loop back t- with you on the adaptive cruise control Ooh, okay. conversation. All right. Because I recently got to drive uh, a rental car Okay. for like 1,500 miles <laughs> up and down I-5 Sheesh, with adaptive cruise control, and I still fucking hate it. Wait, you drove all the way to California and back? Where did I drove from? Where did I drive? I drove all over this last trip or whatever I was on. You know they make these things called airplanes. Yeah, you know what? You know airplanes don't go to Buttonwillow. We gotta fix that. You <laughs> <laughs> could probably fly to like San Jose and be able to like not drive as much. <laughs> yeah, no, I went to that's that's where I flew. Is it? Oh, okay. All right. uh, I just did a lot of this, just sightseeing. You know. Wait, so so you use the adaptive cruise control and you still don't like it? I fucking hate it. I hate it more than regular cruise control. From like 20 years ago, man. You know what it is, though? (laughs) What what drives me bonkers about it. You know what grinds my gears? What grinds my gears is um I don't like the first of all, the the following distance, even at like the shortest following distance, Mm -hmm. is still like two car lengths further away than I would normally follow someone. 
To be you, fair. Do you think, to be fair. Uh, I tailgate like a motherfucker. You do tailgate like a motherfucker. I've been in the car with you. <laughs> and I think the reason they do that is probably they're thinking worst case scenario. Like, let's say it's raining and the car has to stop. It's probably got to be the safest amount in the in the least oh, ideal situation. The lawyer in me 100% you understand understands what's going the on here. in you doesn't like this thing. It's just what it is. Here's at the end of the day. It does not create a driving experience that is similar to the way I drive a vehicle. And that's, and where the <laughs> friction is between the technology and the driver is in that, in right. that distinction. Right. Because what I don't like, and, and so all this comes from a, an IIHS study that says that when you use adaptive cruise control, you're 24, 24% more likely to speed. Is it because the person in front of you is speeding? No, I, but I think it comes down to how people use it. Because when I'm using regular cruise control, Okay, like I-5, great example. Mm -hmm. Speed limit is 70 miles an hour. I'm going to set my cruise control at 75. I'm going to do 75 the whole entire time until I get up on the ass of some truck that's in my left-hand lane, mm -hmm. and I'll turn my cruise control off, and I'll wait until they get around the other truck that they're probably passing, and then I'll get back on. At 0.1 miles an hour faster? Right, right, right. That's the slowest whole, race whole on the thing. But when I use adaptive cruise control, I'm sending it to like fucking 80 or something because I'm just like, I just want to get around and you can figure out the distance. <laughs> and I'm basically just setting the speed on the cruise control at the number that I think that's going to get me to, to accelerate past the other vehicles. Right. So it's a little bit of different of a thing. But what drives me bonkers is the fact that it'll hit the brakes. Oh, so I come up behind a, a, a car like that, that truck that's passing another what were truck. you driving just out of curiosity. What was I driving? It was a Some rental. Uh, was it a Honda or something? Oh, you're really taxing the old brain box now. You got to get to know your cars. Man. Was it a Volvo? No, no. <laughs> what was I in? I was in a fuck. I don't remember what I was in to be okay, honest. Here's what I asked because my Tacoma's got it on it and it doesn't slam on the brakes. It'll slow the car down. I wouldn't say slam the brakes is probably it. It definitely, depending on where that vehicle comes in in front of you, right? It will definitely hit the brakes, and and it'll get it'll go on pretty good. But that's the thing that drives me bonkers. I'm sitting there going like, why are you hitting the brakes? Because there's a couple instances where I'm just like, that car is oh, 300 feet in front of you, right? And going five miles an hour quicker. You don't need to hit the brakes. You just need to take your foot off the gas. And mm -hmm. that's what I would do if I was driving myself. Mm -hmm. I would be taking my foot off the gas. But the car has decided like, no, I want to maintain that safe distance. Yes. Our Delta, it's doing yes. the math. I need to hit the brakes. Right. And that drives me bonkers because like there's so many times where it's hitting the brakes where I'm just like, no, just fucking coast. And it, I don't know. I, I hate that. I hate that technology. I, I, I don't want it. I would never buy a car that forced me to use it. That was the thing because I couldn't use like a regular cruise control in that vehicle. Oh, it had to be the adaptive. And I was like, nope, See, in the, never it, doing that. In the taco, I can set the distance. Yeah, you can set the distance right? on this too. So you can put like it on the levels. shortest, which is pretty much where, more or less where I would be if I was you know, driving behind somebody at 80 miles an hour. So I'm curious to see how the motorcycle one, the Bosch one, what kind of distance it allows. Because a motorcycle technically can slow down in a faster... In a, in a, you don't think it will? It weighs less. It weighs less, but it has significantly smaller contact patches. I guess you're right about that. I'm really curious. Like from 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 actual highway speeds, so 75, 80 miles an hour. If a regular sedan, a Toyota Camry, slams on its brakes, and a Multistrada slams on its brakes, who's going to stop faster? Good question. There is certainly data out there for that, and I don't have it off the top of my head. My guess would be. See, this is the thing. A lot of different types of cars, mm -hmm. a lot of different types of bikes. Mm -hmm. Would an Africa Twin stop as quickly as a Panigale? Probably right. not. No. 
what a Camry versus a Ferrari? Probably not. Right. But the contact patch with four tires. I mean, just one tire's contact patch is bigger than a motorcycle's Correct. single wheel contact Correct. patch. And the fact that there's twice as many, I would think would be a bigger factor than the three times as much weight that you're probably dealing with. Mm-hmm. Four times as much weight. Maybe. I mean, my my big, just like your Forerunner, we both run similar sized tires on our trucks. Yeah. When I slam on the brakes on that 4,400 pound truck, it takes it a minute to stop. It's not, it doesn't have nearly the, like Ann drives a Subaru Forester and that thing stops, I swear, half the distance from my truck. Mm-hmm. Even though I have much larger, I have 285 tires on that thing. So they're massive. But the thing does not have the same sense of urgency of stopping because there is so much more mass behind it. More mass and more suspension travel. Yeah, more suspension travel. So as the well. weight transfer is going to take longer. Right. So I'm really curious. And, 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 but you said it perfectly. I think there's such a variation. And I wonder if every, uh, if every adaptive, adaptive cruise control is set specifically for the weight and capability of that specific vehicle. Like, I can't imagine there's like one algorithm that they put across the board on all of them. Like a Porsche 911 is going to stop a lot quicker than a Toyota Tacoma, for instance, right? So this is, I just did a really quick Google search. Mm-hmm. TeamMotorcycle.com says motorcycles stop faster, but they have like basically no data on that. Motorbike Rider is saying that uh, most bikes tested stopped in 36 meters. Most cars take about the same, but high-performance cars stop in around 30 meters. I don't know what speed they're doing that at. I'm not clicking through. So it was interesting. Be, I, think, I think it'd be an interesting... Here's something on ADV Rider. I'm not going down the rabbit hole. I think it's it's like one of those like fun things you can talk about at the bar. Like right, like you put an airplane on a on a treadmill, would it still take will off? Will it still take off? Yeah. No, it needs fucking air in the wings. It shouldn't take off. It needs air in the wings. You need lift. Okay, you're wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> um, the the end of this is I really I really hate this technology I really yeah you are pretty anti-it. I really like I just I'm struggling to find like a reason to like it I honestly I the did. thing that I was I'm in a car for like two days the, straight the rear side what's that the thing that I'm mostly excited about is the the rear blind spot one I like that like I, I even in my truck I don't really use that function that much I'm I'm so much more and maybe it's maybe it's our age and who we are and what we're used to dealing with I'm used to the more analog. I'm in control of the distance, and, and I'm I, a technology guy. Though at the end of the day, like like if you can't sell yeah, me, but you're also saying that you can probably. I mean, no, you also said that you can't. But the idea is that you can probably react quicker than that thing can react, and so you like to be closer up to on on someone's ass in, when you're cruise controlling. I'm not saying that I can react faster. I know the machines better than me. I just like the distance. That I'm judging, like the minimum, like if right. I set the adaptive cruise control like your to it, comfort zone. it's maximum or sorry, it's minimum following distance. I'm still sitting there going like, because you know what it is. Here, here's the other part. Actually, I can tell you exactly why I don't like this. Okay. Because again, dr- California driving, maybe not so much oh, in yeah. Oregon. Come on, four or five in LA at, at rush hour, everyone's going 80, but they're like three feet away from but each that's other. That's the thing. So the following distance that that vehicle had me at is it's still a distance that's like just inviting assholes in the other lane to cut in front of you so that was the other part of it where i was constantly (laughs) constantly slowing you down yeah so i was constantly having cars just jet in front of me and then i'm hitting the brakes because they've now jet in front of me right and i'm sitting there like no i need to be on this guy's fucking bumper so another car doesn't cut in front of me motherfucker this is called driving in california 
somebody in the powers that be might be listening and going, this is why every car needs to have this. Well, yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of that. Uh, I've never rear-ended a car, so I'll just say that right now. But um, Don't put that in the fucking universe. <laughs> Knock on wood or something. I don't know. You, I, I'm, not, I'm not that guy, but you know, do something. Oh, man. I drove behind so many fucking idiots today. Scurrying, day, scurrying about just scurrying about portland just watching people run stop signs for I'm no never reason in too good of a mood i just drive around portland for two Gene, hours <laughs> a guy braked for a green light because he saw that the countdown on the timer was about to, to, to go i almost i almost rear-ended that motherfucker because he slammed on the brakes during a green light at the intersection i'm like what are you doing prius and you know what the thing that drives me bonkers and this is super like whatever not socially acceptable Every single one of these fuckers I passed was a Prius. No, white millennial guys. I don't know what it is about Portland I, millennial I, aged white men who don't know how to drive. My dad was. I visiting feel like it should be the other way around. For my birthday, my dad was here, and we went for a drive to the coast to go, you know, do the fish and chips thing. Yeah. And every time on on Highway 26 heading out west, every time I had to get around somebody from the fucking right side. It was always some dude in his like 20s to 30s. Yeah. And my dad made a comment looking at them going, I keep expecting to see an old degenerate. Instead, I'm seeing a young degenerate and it's fucking with my head. It's a different stereotype. Like, like when I grew up, well, there's all sorts of driving stereotypes out right. there. But I feel like young white guy is never the stereotype of slow, incompetent driver. It's usually like, you drive too fast. You're yeah. following too close. Right. You're too aggressive. That's the young white guy. No, that's so I don't know what this beta cuck thing is that we're dealing with here in Portland. <laughs> Thanks, man. I almost got water <laughs> out of my nose onto this microphone. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Drives me bonkers. Drives me bonkers. You don't really grind my gears. You know what grinds my gears? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the story of that is. Uh, but anyways, back to the uh, cruise control. Uh, I think we're probably looking at the business end of a barrel of a future that says most every car will have it and it's going to be the norm and every car is going to be forced if they're using cruise control to be that that predetermined safe distance from each other yeah i mean which then makes it easier for guys like you and i to squeeze back around them the thing i did like on this car it also had the lane stay in the lane Uh, feature and like you had to grab the steering wheel every like 10 seconds to keep it from like freaking out on you but it was kind of cool for like 10 seconds watching the car basically drive itself. I mean, it kind of it kind of did the lane weave, which I was like, oh, I definitely look like Some I'm cars drunk are better right than others. I've yeah. been in ones that bounce back and forth, and I've been in ones that just maintained. It, this one really seemed like it, it. Sometimes it was good, and sometimes it wasn't. But I am all for the day where I get in a car, and I can fall asleep. I can read a book. I can do Netflix. Not that far away. Fucking things just like a living room box. Like, I'm just on a couch instead of in a chair. I'm just chilling. But the thing about it is this thing's pretty far away because it keeps slamming. Like, there's a few times where, like, it slammed the brakes pretty hard. And I was like, fuck this. Yeah. But the rub, and this is the same thing that I have with the the DCT on the Africa Twin. It's that friction where the technology is doing something that is different than how I would do it if I was doing it manually. Mm-hmm. And when that that delta between those two things gets too far away, it pisses me off because I sit there and I'm like, why would I turn this cruise control on if it's always going to fucking make it so I'm so far away from vehicles that I'm cutting, I'm constantly getting cut in front of and it's mm-hmm. constantly hitting the brakes and it's constantly like up and down all over the place on the speed, revving the engine and hitting the brakes. No, 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 no. I just want one single speed. 
or same thing like why am I in six, why am I in six gear when I'm in second everybody gear? else to do the exact same thing. Right. Maybe I just have to wait for that day to come. Maybe in our lifetime. I'm curious. Maybe. Um, if I had children, I don't know if I have any. I don't think I do. <laughs> Not that's the knock on wood. <laughs> right. Uh, let's say let's say let's say I had a kid tomorrow. Okay. 18, 16 years before they can drive. Sixteen years. Yeah. In sixteen years from now, would they really need to know how to drive? I don't think so. I think you can still buy a car. You can manually operate. In sixteen years from now, do they even get a driver's license? That's the thing. Like, I don't think I don't think you would need one. I think there there would be autonomous vehicle yeah. solutions, or like the family sedan would have enough autonomous fe- features that little Jimmy can go get in it with his you know Game Boy nine thousand right. and just take the him whole, to soccer practice. The whole point of a driver's license is to prove that you've passed. I don't know what the fuck a driver's license well, says anymore. To me, the, the idea in of it Portland, is that it means you can of, like oh operate a gun or something. I don't know. How do you think is that? No, but the whole idea is that you can, you're proving that you can operate a vehicle safely. Yes. And if you don't have to operate the vehicle, the fuck you're trying to prove. You just that's get in the thing the and let way. it take you to the place. It's a whole new world. I love it. I love that. I mean, that's the sort of thing that keeps me kind of engaged with this industry. That's because transportation is going to night, man i like driving my motorcycles and my cars myself well that's, see, that's the thing though shaheen like we can this is a whole nother conversation <laughs> it keeps me up at night it's it's a brave new world uh i want to get into our last few subjects because the show's getting long um honda cbr 1000 double rr double rr recall recalled uh i just liked it because of the headline i don't have much to say about it <laughs> uh, I think it's like it's a weird one like this a lot seat, of ours. the rear seat cushion mounting bracket was put in upside down on about 90 bikes I do think that 89 number I think that's all the bikes they sold in the US really yeah that's my guess I haven't had that confirmed but that number is about right it's like a $30,000 motorcycle machine yeah with cast wheels on it ask me ask me if I'm still upset about that yeah are you still upset about that yes <laughs> Don't sell a thirty thousand dollar bike with cast wheels on it. Come it's on, it's a man. good bike though. Huh? It's a good bike. It I, I wish it bike. had forged wheels. Same here. For that I wish price? it had. I wish it had steel braided brake lines too. It doesn't have that. No. But did we have any issues with the brakes? No. No, probably not. Which is exactly what the press guy said to us when we pointed that out. It's like, <laughs> well, do you have any issues with the brakes? Okay, drink your Mountain Dew. All right, fair enough. <laughs> this is a good bike. Thirty thousand dollars though. I don't know. That seems a little crazy. Yeah. Give me some gold forge wheels at that at that price point. Um, I mean that recall is less crazy than the thirty one thousand Harley Davidsons that are getting recalled for a headlight bulb. For a light bulb, I don't. Do you need a recall for light bulbs? Like, I think a recall is like, hey, the electronic unit that controls the headlights doesn't work anymore. There's so it's here's a light bulb. Yeah, there's certain things though. Like this is one of those. This is a great example of like, there's certain things that you have to have. Right. For a vehicle to be legal on the road, like as an OEM, well, you need to deliver a vehicle that complies with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Well, Z is a working headlight. And so if you have a supplier who decides to coat their headlight bulb with like zinc phosphate instead of zinc phosphorus, <laughs> I mean, who knows? I don't know what the fuck you do it in. And it causes an issue like this, like you're kind of stuck in a rock in a hard place. You're like, yeah, I have to legally recall it because i'm in no longer in compliance with the federal guidelines on what a car needs to have so here we are but it is kind of the things you're like so a headlight bulb huh really a headlight bulb 
You know what really out of this story made me go, holy shit, is that there's 31,346 motorcycles with faulty headlight bulbs, and every single one of these is some version of a 2019 to 2021 Sportster. <laughs> How many Aprilias did you say they sell a year? Nah, like three, 4,000 probably. There's nearly 31,500 Sportsters on the road from 2019 until now. Yeah, no accounting for taste, Shane. Not even a little. <laughs> or was it? Um, I was watching a, a TV show yesterday, and they're doing like a fake trailer for a movie, and there's like a superhero type person on a motorcycle, and it's a Harley Forty Eight. And I'm just sitting there going, like, what a weird bike to pick. But then again, by volume, not that weird of a eh, bike to pick. Not that weird at all. Because that's there's thirty one thousand three hundred forty six yeah. Sportsters out yeah, there. Yeah, there's man. like thirty one thousand of those things on the fucking road. Yeah, there's gonna be a couple of forty eights in that. <laughs> yeah, there's there is. It's in there. Which is uh interesting because the thing can only go about sixty miles between fuel can uh, Phillips. That's I thought that's where the forty eight came from. Forty eight miles between Phillips. <laughs> Am I wrong? Is that not it? I can, I, I want that to be can true. Someone so from Harley, I'm, fact I'm, check I'm me on that. I'm not gonna argue with it. I want that to be the truth. I'm gonna end it right there. Yeah. I thought it had to do with the year that the peanut tank was put together, but I don't know. Whatever. I like your story way better. I'm gonna stick with that from now on. The Harley 48 is called the Harley 48 because it can only do 48 miles between gas stop, gas stops. Found a very creative way to get around the whole uh, not going to the Pan America launch, by the way. And? Keep your eye on an asphalt and rubber this weekend. Oh, I am super <laughs> excited now. Okay. In fact, actually, when this episode drops, it'll already have happened. So. Do you have a disguise? Um, so, I don't, this makes no I mean, I know why. I know exactly why this is happening, but I think it's funny. Uh, the European launch is ahead of the American launch. Oh, so I'm just one of my European colleagues is going to write our review for us. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Which means we will get the review out before all the other U.S. publications. Take that. So sorry for partying, guys. Don't say nothing. We'll be nothing. Don't be no problems. <laughs> uh, speaking of no problems, KTM 1290 Super Duke RR sells out in 48 minutes. And I finally got the pricing on this. It's a $30,000 motorcycle. I, I've tried to tell you it's going to be an expensive ass bike. 28,900 euros. Euros. Which is like. But I mean, we looked at the list of Farkles on this thing and it's worth that money. Especially, I was having this conversation with, uh, a, that's 34,500 in the US. Ah! Wait, that's, street fighter. that's Street Fighter suddenly a fucking <laughs> bargain. <laughs> Looking real good. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's funny because like I was talking to a, a a KTM person about this. They need to do a better job, or I should say they, WP through KTM needs to do a better job explaining their suspension. Because also I'm like, listen, he's like, I was like, I don't know what this bike's gonna cost. Like, you guys, you know, we didn't get any information. I was basically just complaining. Um, and he goes, Yeah, that suspension though. And I'm like, is it like I don't know? Because you guys just say like Apex 4500 series. I'm like, Woo. Is that better than the 4800 series? Clearly. Is it is it worse? Like there's no like it's clearly like engineers are in charge of the marketing there. And it's just like, "Oh yeah, here's a vague number that you're like you're supposed to know. Like the 4850 is the one to get, not the 4860. That's 4860's bottom basement bargain bin trick. bullshit." From now on just say some bullshit like that and make it sound better. The new Mountain Dew Green 3600 series. Yeah, but, we'll keep you up for 36 hours. But you Just know, how do I explain that? I mean, I don't think any suspension company does like a really good job of this, but because none of us really know how suspension really truly works. Well, there's that. 
I'm trying to think of like a brand that does like a pretty good job of like giving you like this is our bargain basement, this is our middle tier, this is our premium. But Bilstein Olins. So that's the thing. Olins gets away with it because you just know like, hey, it's got Olins on it. Yeah. So it's good. Right. Whereas like Showa, you kind of need to like which Showa is on there? Yeah. Is it like the the separate four function? Is it Big Piston? Like what are your? They at least have some marketing terms that they throw in there that I right. can kind of be like, oh, it's the Big Piston separate fork function. That's a good fork. I like that fork. Yeah, sign me up. Fork you. Um, because like they like the part of that price tag or a good chunk of that price tag is the suspension. That's that's really good suspension. But I would never know that looking at the spec sheet or having like that communicated to me like. I need it to be WP gold 4,500. And then there's like a silver and there's a bronze. And I go like, oh, this is from the gold tier. Okay, that's two tiers up from the bronze, which is the usual like street model. And then like the R bikes usually get like the silver model. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you now. Uh, you know, there's a freebie. Run with that. I, I appreciate your thought on this, but there's 4,500 people who didn't give a fuck because 48 minutes later it was sold out. Yeah, that's fair. You know, whatever. But none of them are from North America. My earlier argument, or not argument necessarily, my my point in that anytime one of these brands makes a one-off, badass, beautiful, different motorcycle, it gets sold out. That's the thing. I mean, five hundred bikes worldwide, Shane. That's not hard to do. No, I mean you kind of have to suck to not be able to sell five hundred bikes. There's there's got to be I don't know how many KTM dealers there are in North America, but there's got to be close to three hundred up. But the beauty, of, I mean. Think you, about this. One Enough dealer people were interested in a KTM that is so vastly more expensive than anything else in their lineup. Mm -hmm. What's what's the closest priced motorcycle in KTM to thirty thousand US dollars? Probably an Adventure S with all the fucking farkles on it. Adventure S, Adventure R. Yeah, but I mean, fuck, dude, a a, a built out Adventure S or Adventure R just barely goes over twenty twenty thousand dollars. Uh, 25. Well, like all you got to get into the aftermarket. Yeah. Parts, men. Right. But yeah, this is no, I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's cool. I, I love the, uh, the solo carbon tail. I like, I don't know if I like that's a single rider thing, but I can get behind it. Is it road legal? Yeah. Oh, okay. Doesn't have any turn signals in the pictures, but I guess it doesn't. Yeah, have I mean, to. why would you put those yeah, on? That's not. That's not. That's, a, that's not an issue. Those are all, plates aren't those sexy. Are, yeah, those are all coming off. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some there's some pretty rad shit about this bike. I like it a lot. It's super if, duper sharp. Super overpriced. Super overpriced. But like you said, 500 people didn't give a fuck. Yeah, they give two shits. They fucking bought it. So good on you, KTM. Hell yeah. I'm sure you printed money on that one. <laughs> I think even the people at KTM were like, "Did you think that would happen?" You know what that tells me. You sold it out in 48 minutes? Didn't price it high enough. Should have been 30,000 euros. It could have made it 30,000 euros and it probably still sold in 42, 52 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that sells in under an hour that quickly. You didn't price it right. Somebody at accounting is like, fuck. Left so much money on the table. <laughs> made more money. <laughs> and you didn't even, and Shaheen, you didn't even sell it in one of your largest markets. No, didn't even bother bringing it here. Didn't in even fact, bother. Your, your high resolution photos are probably the closest I'll ever get to that bike. You are. They are. You're welcome. Thank you. I spent like 20 minutes downloading those. You did a good job, boo boo. Um, speaking of good things that people did, uh, we had an NR Pro sign up. Nice. Guillerme. I think it's Guillerme. Atiens. Atens. Uh, oh, fuck. Atencio. Guillerme Atencio. Guillerme Atencio. 
So this is our one of our Brazilian Brazil. Oh, Brazil. Um, probably does capoeira. Um, probably does from Portuguese, and he's like, pronounce my name, motherfuckers. I just did challenge. Challenge accepted. Guilherme. Guilherme. Atencio. From Brazil. Is it Atencio Brazil. or Atencio? Brazil. You ever watch you ever watch Bob's Burgers, where the daughter goes and does capoeira? Brazil. <laughs> I assume Brazil. all Brazilians do capoeira. Like they all know how to dance and kick your ass at the same time. I was good friends with a Brazilian family growing up. They're they're awesome. And they did know kind of do a little capoeira. See, yeah. Uh, Guillermo, thank you very much for for signing up. We appreciate it. He had a bunch of bikes in his car. Let me see. If I can is Guillermo still live in Brazil or is he? No, out no, in no, Portugal no. He's, now? In, he's in Portugal now. Nice. Uh, da, 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 da. Hell yeah. He had a Honda CBX 200 for a year, cool. then a Suzuki GSX 750F for another, but he crashed it. Uh, da, 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 da. 17 years later, and I'm thinking about a KTM 390 or an MT-03. Okay. That's such a cool European thought process. Yeah, like, right? I'm looking at moving up to a 390. I'm thinking about getting a 300. Which is awesome CC because bike. to them, it's like, yeah, there's plenty of motorcycle for what I do around here. I, I don't need a. I'm just going from point A to point B. I don't need a 690. <laughs> I don't need a 30,000 euro no. KTM 1290 <laughs> Super Duke Double R. I love it. Uh, I love it a lot. That's amazing. Thanks, Guillermo. Oh, that's great. And you he rock. said safety third. So, you know, suck up. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of which, so I put up the stickers. Yeah. We're practically sold out of them. In fact, I'm going to steal the last 40 you are. from you for the I have like 40 producing. left, so I got to take them off. Actually, what I need to do is order more. Order more. Question is, do I order them in red or the current purple? Oh, the purple is so stupid. <laughs> but it's sold out. See? I should have priced them more. <laughs> no. Uh, thanks to everybody for ordering the stickers. I'm going to go ahead and order more of them because y'all are insatiable. Uh, which actually, no. What I need to do is just get the t-shirts going and the beanies. You know people want beanies. That's all you. I I, I, I don't got time for this nonsense. Yeah, I don't either. I got to fucking find time for it. I don't have time for your dealership. I got your, things to do. Your beanie salesman. Beanie sales numbers. You know, that's very important to me. Sweet team, uh, hashtag team man's like, do you want me to help you put these in envelopes and send them out to people? Fine. What a sweetheart. She's amazing. We're, we're in the middle of like card. the worst three and a half <laughs> yeah. months of her life. She's in charge of customer relations from she, going forward. She should be. Everybody likes me because of my wife. I don't think I'm the cool one here. You are definitely the cooler podcast host. No one likes me for my personality. Maybe including Harley voice. Davidson and Yamaha <laughs> and MV. I don't know. Like, just like, like I mean, the I haven't brands. any love letters from any of those people either. So I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Um, DGR's coming up. Oh, yeah. The Singlish Gentleman's Ride. You know what I forgot? Where'd I got it forget? in my notes and I forgot for us to talk about it. And okay. I'm gonna, like, we're going to go just right back into the rabbit holes. DGR is coming up. Yep. That's good. Uh, Before ten, that. 10 year anniversary? Yes. Um, good old Mark Hawa kicking ass. Alley Sweeper. Yep. Was last time around. And there was a gun pulled on someone. Some dude. So remember my story? Yep. I remember. Buddy you in, you my got pushed in my neighborhood. Off the bike. So the guy with the gun. So first he was hitting people with was a rake. Was it in your neighborhood? He is like four blocks away from me. I run no. past his house every time I go for a run. What is going on in your neighborhood? So I know exactly which house he is. And he's one of those crazy hoarding craziness. I've got all this crazy I shit crazy. in my he yard. Pulled a gun out on people. He he first he started hitting people for rake. And then as the day went on, he start, he pulled a pistol and had a shotgun with him and was pointed at people. And that fucker got picked up by the police, and I'm totally okay with Good. that. I hope they throw the fucking book at him. Because that's fucked up. Fuck you for doing that. Not cool at all. But it's exactly what I say where it's like there's like these weird people. I mean, all it would have taken was for that guy to to simply slip and fucking pull that trigger. 
um yeah there's um there's a whole lot there yeah you know what i'm going to the alley sweeper next year fuck that guy careful bulletproof vest i mean i've got my airbag vest on so i'm all right i think the bag is actually made out of kevlar <laughs> that'd be amazing that might not it be goes true off and the bullet bounces off i don't, I don't think that's actually true uh, but i wish it, it would be. it could be <laughs> let's heath, say it is heath if you're listening please let us know kevlar airbag vests it's <laughs> <laughs> amazing we got the one moto show coming up one moto show coming up yeah dgr coming up we got lots of race days track days like we're going into the swing of the season hard starting at the end of this month hells to the yeah hells to the year I mean, uh, I'm really curious to see what the one moto show. I didn't enter my bike this year, um, but I had a couple friends that did theirs. I just didn't have time. But it's down. It's down by Ross Island Bridge. This yeah, year. by the waterfront, South yeah. Waterfront area. There's that cool old like shipbuilding yard place. I don't know. Be curious. I won't be able to attend. I think I have a conflict. Um, I forget what date it is. I'll we be there throughout the day. So when, when's well, I mean, DG- I have a conflict called work, but I'll be there after work. When's when's DGR? DGR is going to be May 23rd on a Sunday. Which is a conflict for me because I have a track day. It's our first track day, but I'm oh, going yeah. to. So I'm probably going to do the DGR in the first part of the day and then go to the track day in the second part of the day. Or or dress up for dress up in your suit for the track day. I mean, I kind of got to. Maybe that's what I do. I wear my track day suit and then over that I'll put on yeah. like a blazer. Yeah. And like a nice Double-breasted? Double-breasted? Oh, man. Yeah. And then when I get to the track, I'll just take it off like Superman and boom, there's my super, uh, super suit. I think I almost talked to Lady Friend into coming that with me. That'd be Let's awesome. Um, one show is April 30th, May 1st, May 2nd, mm-hmm. that weekend. So if you're in Portland. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come on down. It's a beautiful time. Tour and the whole CC crew do a good do a good show. Uh, what else were we plugging? There was something else. DGR. DGR, one show. May 23rd, which is going to be a Sunday. All day. Yeah, all day. It's all day. Well, that's a morning thing. It typically starts like nah, in the morning. It goes to like four or five. Yeah, well, let's, let's call it all day. I don't think I've ever woken up in time for that. DGR? Never done it. Dude, it's DGR. It starts for Never like done it. supper. Like not supper. Uh, One, not hipster enough. Two, don't have a cool enough bike. Three, I mean, you're a Street Fighter at this point is becoming a classic. So I'm a classic. You are a classic. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you do have a cool enough bike. If you still have that BMW down there, you should bring I that. I do. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. Bring the old R18 slash two. Uh, we make that happen. Twenty third, twenty third. You said the motocross track day, bro. You're gonna be there, Marshall. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta go. To, I'm gonna do that. I'll take the R18 slash. I'll take the R18 on the track. How about that? <laughs> I wish Happy you would. compromise. Actually, you should honestly do the marshalling for Group C on the R18. Fucking it. I wish I had a stereo. <laughs> do I have to wear? A, do I have to wear a full face helmet on the track? I do. Don't yes. I? Yeah. But you know, I have a little boom box. We'll just zip tie that thing, that thing to the back of the R18. You can have stereo. Done. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Done. I hope no one from BMW is listening. <laughs> Mark. Nova, he's going to take it on the track. He's going no, to try nine, to do nine, turns. Nine. <laughs> is this not built for the speed? This is not built for turning. It's built for looking good. He's going to need to the, the, the cylinder heads. They will scrape on the ground. What is this crazy maniac from Asphalt und Rabat doing? Ashen. In my ashen, <laughs> the cylinder heads. <laughs> I want you to return that bike with some scrub, like scrubs on the cylinder heads. What's that from? Uh, turn four. Don't PR. worry about it. <laughs> that's, where it's, that's where it's from. It's from don't worry about it. If you don't put a knee on the ground on that bike. Oh, my God. You know how much work do that is? Do you know is? how hard it was to do it on the Goldwing? <laughs> I mean, they're about the same width. You could do it. I have faith in you. Golding at least had like some turning clearance. The fucking, fucking BMW like barely can turn. 12 degrees is enough, man. How much more do you need? 
Come on. What else you got? About this much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all I got. That's all we're done. Let's, let's just close the show. Well, down. you know, as usual, y'all just follow us on Instagram at BrapTalk and on Twitter at WeBrapTalk and email us at WeBrapTalk at gmail.com or go on <laughs> Facebook and get on uh, BrapTalk Motorcycle Podcast. And uh, remember, follow Asphalt and Rubber and give us a favor. Check out AsphaltandRubber.com pro signups. I don't know. What slash pro. Slash pro signups. <laughs> That's the worst voice for that. It's the worst just, voice. That's just that's I just want you to listen to us. That all is the, the time. voice I hear in my head when I'm passing that Prius with some 27 year old white guy I'm in it. Just driving oh, the I'm speed gonna, limit. I don't know why this guy's gonna passing drive my me. car. I'm trying to listen to my Nickelback. Just and, listen to uh, Nickelback. No, it's not that. No, this is newer. They're, I'm listening no, to it's bare vintage, hands. It's vintage. It's vintage Nickelback. I have it on tape deck. Jim James I took the and my morning jacket. Out of my Subaru and I put a tape deck in because that's hella retro. <laughs> And uh, I'm just driving my car. I don't know how to parallel park. And uh, I'm just going to, uh, 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 oh, there's a light turning green. Uh, uh, oh, no. What uh, if this light turns red someday? I should stop now. Anyways, on that note. Good talk. I'll see you out there. Safety third. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Do you want to have a date night with me at strip club? No. Nope. All right. Just thought I'd ask. I didn't want to leave this conversation without having asked. <laughs> what have you been doing on two wheels lately? Kobe, my man. Kobe, my man. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Yo, man. My man. D man. Kobe, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs>